Good morning. Welcome to the Highlands. My name's Aaron. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. I want to thank uh, the Real Hope Project for being here. You guys are an important ministry partner, and we're honored that we get a partner with you guys. And make sure after the service you take some time, watch some of the reels, ask questions. Um, but thank you for what you guys are doing, and we're honored that we can be a part of it and support you guys. Uh, I was having an interesting conversation with my wife uh, recently. Uh, you know, all these different groups or businesses that are going to space, like space tourism, kind of like, like become a thing. And I was talking to her, I was like, if you got invited to go on one of these um, by Elon or Jeff, uh, would you do it? Because it seems like at this point, it's mostly like people with vast amounts of money uh, who are doing it or like celebrities get invited to do it. And I was like, would you do it? Like if you got invited to go on one of these rockets and go up to space, would you do it? And I was like, absolutely not. There's nothing in me that has any desire to do that. And she's like, would you? And I go, I, I think I would. Makes it a little difficult like with little kids because space travel is like really dangerous. <laughs> and um, I don't know, uh, I think I, I, I would. Um, but space is just like in space exploration and um, all that's happening with, with going, going back to the moon and now going to Mars. It's just, it's pretty amazing, at least to me. And I've been following like NASA uh, is going to put human beings back on the moon. And the first step is they're trying. They've had to scrub this this launch three different times now, but um, they have a brand new rocket, and this is what it looks like. Uh, the mission is called Artemis. Artemis One is 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 going to be launched, uh, and it's the first step to going back to the moon. But this is, I, I believe, they call it the SLS Space Space Launch System. It is the biggest, most powerful rocket that's ever been produced. It um, produces something like. 8.8 million pounds of thrust, which reaches up to 22,600 miles an hour. So this thing is big. This thing is fast. This thing is powerful. And if you want one of your own, it will cost you just about $23 billion. So um, if any of you have that cash and you want your own rocket, what do you do for a living? Um, <laughs> But um, one of the things that's interesting just about space travel and like these rockets is we sort of look at them and we watch launches and we're amazed at the power. And it is unbelievable, the power that these things have. I mean, you're essentially, these astronauts are sitting on a massive controlled explosion. Um, but... We, we sort of are enamored by the power, but one of the things we, we miss that is just as important is the trajectory. So you have to have enough power to get up and off the ground and then get through the atmosphere. If you don't, you're not gonna make it to space. You're not gonna make it to the moon. You're not gonna make it to Mars. But at the same time, you, don't just, you can't just have power and point at the moon or point at Mars and just go. You have to have the right trajectory. And without the right trajectory, you're not going to hit your mark. And, and so NASA scientists, I mean, it is, it is, it's not easy. They have to calculate and figure out the exact trajectory to make sure that they uh, can get into orbit, 
get uh, on the right trajectory toward the moon, and you can see that they enter orbit, and then they have to, they have to enter um, space at the right trajectory to make sure that they're on target to the moon, and then they swing around. And they not only have to get on the right trajectory to get to the moon, they have to be on the right trajectory to get back from the moon and safely back to Earth. And it, it, it's, it's tricky because the earth is constantly moving. The moon is constantly moving. It is a moving target. In fact, I, one thing I read was they basically are sending the rocket to the spot where the moon will be in five days. Like it is tricky, not easy. And so power is important, but so is trajectory. And I believe it's a good metaphor for life. I think a lot of people, um, we just sort of put a lot of power into life. Whatever's in front of us, we give a lot of energy to. And sometimes we miss out on asking ourselves the important question of, well, what is the trajectory of life? What, what, am, what is it that I'm giving my, my strength, my power, my energy to? And is it, is it toward things? Is it on a trajectory uh, that, that matters? Is, is, the, is the strength, the energy, uh, whatever I am giving, is it, is it toward things that ultimately matter, truly matter, and last? This is, this is really when the Bible talks uh, about having an eternal perspective, this is, this is in essence what it's talking about, that Christians, the followers of Jesus, are to, are to look at life differently, to have a different trajectory, to aim differently to put their energies toward different things than maybe the world will say. This is what you should do. This is how success is defined. This is what will make you happy. Our aim is on eternal things. We strive to have a spiritual perspective, to make spiritual investments in, in things that we believe last forever, not just things that make us feel good or make us happy for the now or buy into the, the messaging from the world that this is, this is, if you do this, you're successful. If you do this, you'll be happy. If you do this, you'll live a fulfilled life. So our, our power, our strength comes from God and it's aimed, it's on a trajectory that, that we look and go, this matters, this lasts. And so my question for us this morning is, what is the trajectory of your life? Truly, like where are your energies going? Where's your time going? Where's your, where's, where's your money? Where's your investment? Not just financial, but just the, what you're giving. Because the truth is you're an influencer. And you might not go, oh, I'm not a leader, or I, I, I don't have a lot of people reporting to me, or, or I'm in a season of life where I don't, I don't have a lot of influence. The reality is that's not true. All of us have relationships. All of us are, are in relationships where we are a part of shaping that relationship or that group of people. Whether it's your, your relationship with your spouse your, your behavior is influencing that relationship and the culture of that, that relationship. If it's with your family, same thing. If it's at work, if it's your participation at this church, 
Like you, you are a part of influencing the culture of that relationship or that marriage or that family or that church or that work or that team, whatever it is, we are influencers. And so what am I, like, what am I ultimately bringing in my, in my influence? Is it toward goodness? Is it toward my own benefit? Is it toward the kingdom of God? Is it for, is it for uh, the betterment of others? Is it primarily for me? But ultimately, what is my direction? And am I even thinking like eternally? Or am I just living? Like whatever comes, I'm just sort of, I'm going through the motions. I think that's a sad life that none of us want to live where we're just sort of existing. We're sort of just going with the flow. And it's not the life that God has called you to live. Not a life of impulse or a lot of, a lot of bang without any direction, but one with energy and power that comes from God on a trajectory that matters. God is interested in you living a life that matters, a, a, a life that, that uh, makes investments that last. But maybe you're here and you need, a you need to be recalibrated. I think sometimes it's easy to get overwhelmed with just all the options, <laughs> all the decisions that, that one has to make and all the busyness that life produces. And then as Christians, we go, well, what is God's path? And what does God want me to do? And, and I think what, what can happen is we get, you know, paralysis by analysis. And we're, we're, we're often afraid to take steps of action because we just are so worried about making the right ones or making the right decisions. And I, I wonder if maybe God is just calling us to something much simpler. Because we look and we see all the options, we see all the potential, we see all the, the hurdles, we see all the decisions, and it can become overwhelming. And what if being a Christian is the opportunity to hand all of that stuff to God and go, God, you work that out. And God is just saying, I want you to simply do these things. Like what if, what if you took aim and you, you, you aimed to do these things and I took care of the rest? That is what Psalm 37 is actually telling us. That is the good news that Psalm 37 is telling us. It says this, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Now listen to this, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. What if that's like what if that's the simple life that God is calling? And I know it's not, it, it, it gets complicated real quick with the circumstances of life, but this is what the psalmist is saying. He's not saying figure everything out. He's not saying, you know, get this specific job or do this, or make all these decisions. He's saying, trust in God and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. And that's what we looked at last week. What does it mean to dwell in the land? Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him. There again, trust in God. 
and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. You know, there's a lot you can do in life, but there's just a lot that you can't do. And the truth is, we don't have a lot of control. As you know, we try, we try to take hold of, of much control as possible, but when, but when we really honestly take a step back, we realize that we just don't have a lot of control. And when you look at things you can and can't do, the truth is this, you can't get the desires of your heart. You wanna know why and why it's, why it's dangerous? Because our brains are really good at tricking us into believing things that we think will make us happy that, tr- that ultimately don't. Every time I go to McDonald's, this is my brain lies to me. Because I just, I'm hungry and I want to eat and I go, that will taste good. And it does, but then afterwards, I usually don't feel great about the decision. And th- th- our brains are biologically good at tricking us into believing that this is what will make me happy, this will satisfy me, like this will meet the desires of my heart. But, but the truth is, it's deceptive thinking. And often it's the things that we don't think will make us happy or are hard that will ultimately satisfy us. And as Christians, we believe that nothing in this world can ultimately satisfy us, but that it, it is Jesus who satisfies. And so a lot of people live tirelessly seeking the things that they believe will give them the desires of their heart. But you need to ask yourself, what are the desires of my heart? And will they ultimately satisfy? See, so many people end up spending their entire lives working toward the desires of their heart. This is not what the Bible says. This is not the way that God calls us to live seeking after the desires of our heart. It says God will give you that. But what are you to do? Trust God and do good. It's a way better message than I've got to get the right job and find the right person to live my life with and have the best kids and make a lot of money and have all these different experiences. Like uh, it quickly becomes overwhelming It quickly becomes tiresome. And the amazing message is it's a lot simpler. Trust God in all circumstances and do good. He will take care of the rest. He'll satisfy your heart. Like you don't have to. And I find that so much more freeing. that God is inviting us into a much simpler life, but simple doesn't mean easy, nor does it mean that it doesn't matter. Actually, simple means in this case, sometimes making hard decisions or doing something hard that our brain might trick us into thinking is not good or won't satisfy, and yet it does. And simple doesn't mean that it, it's doing things that don't matter or don't last. It's quite the opposite. Here, when, when the psalmist is talking about doing good, the Hebrew word that is used there is tov. 
And we've talked about this word before, this, this Hebrew word tov. And when, when you talk about goodness, this is the word that throughout scripture we see tov. And you know, if, if, you were to, if I were to ask you to define good, we'd say like, I think we would define it almost in terms of mediocrity. Like you go to a restaurant and you eat a meal and someone goes, how was it? You might, you might say good. And what is that? What's that sort of say? It says, well, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. It wasn't like, it wasn't awesome or really good. It was somewhere in the middle. And when the Bible calls us to, to do good, it's not saying live in the middle. Like tov actually means like thriving. It means flourishing. It means bringing about like really true goodness bringing about uh, the, uh, oh, the way it should be. We look out at the world and there's a sense of pain because we see the brokenness, we see the injustices, we see things that are wrong. And there's something in us that goes, it shouldn't be that way. That is the spirit saying, desire, desire to see goodness, desire, de- desire and seek tov. Things being the way they should be, the way that God designed it to be, the way that God wanted it before sin came in and corrupted every part of it. Piecing back together what was broken. That is not mediocrity. That's not good. The restaurant was good. When God says to do good, it's, he, he's saying much more than that. In fact, I would, I would venture to say that a lot of us live in mediocrity. We just sort of seek whatever's fine. And, and God's like, no, I want you to take all that you have and, I, and the, the, the uniqueness of who you are and, and, I, and I want you to be a creator. I want, you to, I, want to take, I want you to take your unique experiences and your unique relationships and your, your unique time in this life, on this earth, at this time to make an impact, to do something good, to do something that lasts. That is what God is calling us to do. It's what he's calling us to be. And when we talk about the kingdom of God coming, we're talking about tov, of goodness, of people seeing the, the love of God, experiencing the love of God. Being a part of, of, of seeing brokenness and seeing things that are wrong and recognizing that it's wrong and being people of action that go, I wanna take what's wrong and make it right. Why? Because it angers God, because it hurts God, because it pains God. That is what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means when it says, do good. Scott McKnight, in his book, A Church Called Tov, he looked at what's it mean for the church, the body of believers of of Jesus Christ, to be a, a, a community of tov, of goodness, to be agents of tov, to create a culture that is that is built around goodness. He, de- he says the Bible defines tov or goodness like this, empathy and compassion, grace and graciousness, putting people first, truth-telling, justice, service, and Christ-likeness. It's far more than just mediocrity. 
or we're fine. No, we're seeking wholeness. It sounds like Micah in Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? What does it look like for it to be good? It says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So when we're called to do good, it's far more than just be nice or be fine or go about our business, but it's to be actively a participant in the work of God. To use the time, the talents, the energy, the money, whatever it is that we have, is that it's God's disposal to bring goodness, to bring tove into a broken world. And I just would ask you, is that your aim? Is that the aim of your life? Are you, are you on that trajectory? And the invitation, if you're not, is to recalibrate. To say, I, I want a different aim. I want a different direction. And you go, how do, I, how, do I, how do I necessarily do that? Well, one of the things we have to do is we've, we've got to look at, at the way we live. And I think the question that every day is worth asking is, am I becoming more like Christ? In the way that um, I interact with people, in the way that I, 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 I talk to people, the way that uh, I spend my time, like, am I, be, like, when I look at the Bible and I see the characteristics of Christ, like, do I see those same characteristics building in me? Now, you, it, it can get tricky because you know what the enemy will say to you in your brain? He will, he will say, well, you're not like that. You're far from that. You can't, like, and it's not to be perfect or strive to be perfect, and you will stumble and fall. However, it's, it, it, the fact that we can't be perfect like Christ is not an excuse to not try to grow in Christ-likeness. So am I becoming more like Christ? And some of the characteristics of tov, of goodness, are things like empathy, grace, selflessness, truth, justice, service, and Christ-likeness. If you bring up that, that graphic, the circle graphic, um, it might not come up, but in McKnight's book, he talks about the, the habits of goodness. And he talks about these characteristics. So let me just walk through them real quick. And you can at, like, ask yourself, do I see these characteristics like welling up in my life? Empathy. Uh, there, you can't have goodness. You can't have um, the kingdom without empathy. Because what, what happens without empathy is we often become jaded we, we, can, we become um, bitter, and it is, it is very difficult, and I would say impossible, to love people, to forgive people, to show people Jesus without empathy. If we can't put ourselves in people's shoes and, and try to understand what they're thinking or what they're feeling, 
it will, we, we become hard people. Without, without empathy, our ability to, to bring goodness and love is very difficult, if not impossible. The next thing is grace. Like, we fall short. And the amazing message of Christianity is that, that God loved us at our worst, that he pours grace and love and forgiveness despite our sin, despite our, our tendencies to, to struggle with the same stuff over and over again. So am I a grace-filled person? Do I, do I actively receive the grace of God and am I willing to give it to others? The next is pe putting people first. And this is just, this is Christ-like because Jesus says, I came to serve, not be served. And he put others', others needs in front of his own. And when you have people that do that, they're willing to give, love, help, serve people of need. Like that changes people's realities. It, it heals what is broken. You cannot have goodness. You cannot have a culture of goodness with manipulators, liars, and people that tell half-truths. Telling half-truths, lying, is an act of manipulation. It's a, that's about power and it's about control. And that is not kingdom. That, is not, that doesn't bring about flourishing. It doesn't bring about goodness. It's not, it, it, lies and manipulation and deception bring about nothing but brokenness, pain, and death. And so if you're bringing good into the world, are you a person that speaks the truth? Are you living out the truth? Next it says nurture justice. And this is about, you know, we think about justice in the terms of legal, in legal terms, but the way that the Bible talks about it is what I talked about earlier. It is looking at what is wrong and feeling that in such a way that you're, you're gonna do something about it. It's about, you know, the Real Hope Project recognizing and seeing the, the foster care system and the brokenness in the foster care system and Pete and Casey going like, we, like that isn't the way that God wants it. Like th this, this is like, God does not want this brokenness. God wants everyone to have a family. God wants everyone to have a home. Like that's kingdom. And so I, like we are willing to do something about it. That's justice, is seeing the wrongs and saying, I want, I'm gonna be a part of fixing what's wrong. And then service in Christ-likeness, it's, it's about giving of oneself. You can't create tov or goodness without sacrifice, without putting other people ahead of yourself. And we do that because Christ did it for us. He hung on a cross, he died for us, and we respond with that, sacrifice the willingness to love others. And what good, I mean, the amazing goodness that the cross did for us. And without Jesus utterly sacrificing himself, we don't get the goodness of, of the cross. 
And without our willingness to sacrifice for others, we can't bring in the goodness of the kingdom of God. And then to nurture Christ's likeness. And that is that question, am I becoming more like Christ? Now you can take an aim and you can aim for all this stuff, but just like the rocket, you need the right trajectory, you need the right aim, but you need the power, you need the action. Like you've got to step in and do something. And that's, that is where we every day have opportunities to do good to be people of action, to take aim. And I, I would just say like, it's not doing big dramatic things, but it's the opportunities every day to just invest, to give time to people. You know, maybe like things, you're struggling in your marriage right now and you go, I want Tove in my marriage. And, 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 and maybe the answer is as a husband, you go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actively spend 10 minutes every day just asking my wife questions, like taking interest in her and her day and her life. Like that is an act, that is action of, of bringing goodness. Or as a parent, you go, I'm gonna take an hour and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put my phone away and I'm gonna just play with my kids. That is bringing goodness. It could be, I'm gonna, you know, pay for someone's dinner or I'm gonna babysit for free. You know, like we have all these opportunities to bring life, to bring goodness. Maybe it's, I'm gonna pray for somebody. You know, I was like just outside here and um, sometimes, I shouldn't admit this, but sometimes I'm like, I don't feel like doing the sermon a second time. <laughs> I did it once, isn't that not good enough? You know, this is like, and, and you just go, oh, I got to go do it again. And this sermon's way better than the first one. You guys see 1030 get a better sermon usually. But I was like, oh, I don't feel like, like Brian goes, how you doing? Our worship pastor. I go, I don't feel like doing it. He goes, let me pray for you. And he prayed for me. Like that's tov, that's goodness. Like I'm going to pray for you. Somebody came up to me here. Guy was struggling. I, I'm not hundred percent sure with what, but um, a, a, an tender here, uh, it's a guy he works with or worked with. He found out he was struggling. He goes, come live with me. No joke. You're going to come live with me and you're going to, but here's the thing. You're going to come live with me, but you're going to do this. You're going to wake up at four. You're going to work out. You're going to go to church with us. This is, I'm not lying. This is what he said. That's tov. Like, that's like, okay, you're struggling. You're hurting. You're in pain. Like, come live with us. We're going to change that. That is the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God. It's, it's looking at the foster care system and saying there's a problem, I'm going to step in. And look, sometimes we go, we look at things and we go, it's too hard. And we just sort of then go, all right, it's too hard. But then whenever you feel that, like a problem comes up and you go, oh, that, that pains me, but it's too hard. And it would be too hard to take a kid in. It'd be too hard to take an adult in who's struggling. It'd be too hard to write a check to whatever. Um, Ask yourself the question, but is it good? Just because it, it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. In fact, a lot of times God is calling us to do hard things because it's good. So do it. Don't put good off. Aim higher and act on it. Have a bias for action. Join with each other. Join with God to be tov, to bring goodness into the world. 
And if you set your, your life on that trajectory, I'm gonna trust God in all circumstances, despite what I see and I feel, and I'm just gonna do good every opportunity, whether big or small, I'm gonna do good. And I'm gonna culture these things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, nurture these things in my life. Empathy, grace, selflessness, truth, justice, service, Christ-likeness. Guess what? God will take care of the rest. He's gonna take care of the desires of your heart. Just let him do that. Let him do all that hard work. You focus on trusting God and doing good and seeing the kingdom come to life. And you will live a life of meaning, of purpose, and of joy. And I think that's all, that's what we want, is it not? And that's the life that God has invited you into. Let's stand together and pray. Jesus, give us the courage to live differently in a world that lies about what will make us happy, help us hear truth and to be people of truth and of action, to trust you, God, in all circumstances and to be a church of tov, of goodness, of, of, of healing and wholeness. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.